Hello, this is The Game Podcast from The Times and I'm Natalie Sawyer. Joining Gregor Robertson and I today, it is Alison Rudd. Alison, how are you? It is not long until the Premier League football is back. I know, I'm not... I'm not fibbing, I'm not making this up, but last night I dreamt I was at a game and there was a goal and the crowd went mad and I looked at the crowd and then in my brain something said, ooh, but they're, they're not supposed to be here. <laughs> so they became they became animated cardboard cutouts. Oh. So my, my subconscious made the dream uh, more practical and legal. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm so pleased we can talk about your legal dream on here <laughs> as well. But I wonder if that is going to be the, the foreseeable future, some sort of cardboard cutouts. I know some clubs, Gregor, have, have been talking about it. Yeah, I mean, who knows? It's been interesting to see the uh, the crowds in, kind of, in Spain and, and Germany and how it's developed actually recently. It's been, and the you know, the artificial noise, everyone was so kind of cynical about that, but it's been, mm. it does add something for the, for the viewer at home, undoubtedly. The thing I'm looking forward to, actually, which sounds which sounds a little bit peculiar, is just the f- the first game and experiencing a game that actually is a competitive game of football behind closed doors. And obviously, I hope it doesn't last for too long, but it's going to be so surreal. Um, and I'll have to Fulham and Brentford on Saturday. So uh, <gasps> You're going! Hopefully, hopefully Fulham get a win there. Nah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Uh, I don't even want to talk about that. Thank you very much. It's disgraceful. But you know what I did hear? I, I heard that uh, at Northampton's ground, Sixfield, obviously when, now that they're in the playoffs, there's going to be cardboard cutouts. And Shaq O'Neill, Shaquille O'Neal is going to be one of the cardboard cutouts there. Yeah, there is some. I really, I wish I knew, given that I played for this football club, I wish I knew the <laughs> connection. But there is a connection going back. I wouldn't be surprised if it had something to do with uh, Bailak and Femme as well and his kind of celebrity status when he was at the, when he was at the club. But yeah, he is some kind of long-distance supporter of Northampton, so there's going to be a giant Shaq O'Neill in the crowd. There you go. But Alison, obviously you're dreaming about the Premier League returning. You're obviously very excited with just two <laughs> days to go. Yeah, well, it's... I don't think if you even just like football a little bit that you wouldn't be very excited. It's... Mm. It was, it's, I think more than anything, it's the stage at which the um, pandemic meant that football had to stop because we were on the cusp of so many things. And it's, you know, it's like if you go to the movies and the, the, it, there's a blackout and you don't know who done it or who gets off with who or whatever, you, you feel a bit <laughs> short-changed, don't you? So you, you who gets off with a, who? You have to have a conclusion. You have to. Yes. You, you invest so much time, energy, emotion, and 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 that analytical part of your brain, and you you know you predict results. You you talk about who's likely to come back from injury. You talk about tactics. You talk about controversial team selections. It's all it all becomes meaningless unless you finish the campaign. So yes, I am excited. And anyone who likes football, I think you just have to stop saying. Well, no, people are entitled to their opinion, but you, it just seems rather daft to me to say, oh, football's inappropriate at this time. So much of the country is trying to get back on its feet. Yeah. And football is the most, one of the most uh, protected areas. And if they, I think there's genu- genuinely a feeling amongst the vast majority of people involved in football that they have a duty, you know, if, if other people are 
manning the shops at you know the Primark queues, and they have a duty to to give people something to to, to lift their spirits. Well, we have got loads to get through on today's pod as we finally get to preview some Premier League action. And good news, Greg, oh, we're even talking about John McGinn and Chris Wilder. What more could you want? Oh. <laughs> All that to come after this. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Now, by the time Aston Villa kick off against Sheffield United at 6pm on Wednesday evening, exactly 100 days would have passed since Villa's 4-0 defeat to Leicester, the final game before lockdown. The two sides are looking in opposite directions, with Villa knowing a win will lift them straight out of the bottom three, while Sheffield United are two points off fifth and just six points off a Champions League place. But let's look at Villa first and that relegation battle. We have to question how many teams are in danger of going down, and despite the break, Villa remain without Wesley, who is out for the season, and their keeper Tom Heaton, while Sheffield United have everyone fit and available. If we focus on Villa then, will the pressure Villa are playing under, Alison, do you think help or hinder them? I think the current situation will help them because mm. they were in they were in a quagmire. They've been under pressure all season and they clearly weren't quite coping with it, otherwise they wouldn't be, you know second bottom of the table they if anyone needed a a means of stepping back from the fray of being allowed to analyze where they've been going wrong and to devise a way to make their expensively assembled collection of talent do more than they're doing then it was Aston Villa so I think the pressure the pressure's the same they still have to try and avoid relegation that that was the case then and it's the case now but I think having had that Instead of being relentlessly being accused of the same things over and over again, oh, why did you spend so much money? Why didn't you keep your squad intact? Why didn't you use the camaraderie you had? Why did you meddle and fiddle with things? Instead of being, you know, being constantly told they were doing things wrong, now they've had a chance to reflect, and they ought to, they ought to be coming back a team of, you know, of discovered, you just have to be more defensively minded. You have to play boringly sometimes. You, they've, they've been far too, um, they've just been far too, too, too reckless in their approach to games and, and, and hoping that they're going to outscore their opponents or get a bit of luck or the crowd will see them through, which it did, it did in the in the League Cup to a degree. But they, they they've had a moment of reflection. So they, I think, probably of all the teams, maybe they needed long a long period to to adjust and maybe maybe to adjust to that pressure better. And maybe mm. use it more positively because they certainly they've been they've been almost sort of um, in denial that they're under pressure. You know, well, we're not doing anything wrong. We're a big club. We're back where we belong. No, no, no. You 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 were promoted, and you need 
to get your act together and get into the swing of the Premier League rhythm. So I think, they, I'm not saying they will, but they certainly ought to um, have taken this enforced break and done something with it. Gregor, where do you stand on, on pressure as a collective within the team? Is it is there such a thing? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, I agree. I think the pressure on all, all of these clubs that are fighting relegation it hasn't changed. None of it's changed because, you know, they're fighting for their own Premier League status, that of their club. Um, and just because there's no crowd in the stands, it doesn't affect that. It'll affect the dynamics of, of the actual game itself and, and the play, but it won't affect the pressure and the weight of it on on, uh, on each game and each player. So, yeah, I mean, this is the most sort of intriguing uh, part of the, of the restart, really, I think. You know, there's I would say there's six teams that are right in the mix for, for relegation and it's very, very hard to call who it's going to be, but I'd actually say that Villa... I'd say Villa, as Alanson said, you know they lost. I think they lost the last four games before before the break. Dean Smith was there was starting to be some real pressure on him, even for his job, despite the kind of connection he has with that football club. Uh, you know, I, I think the break probably came. At, uh, <laughs> you, you didn't want this break to come, obviously, but I think for any team, it's probably came at the right time for Villa. Hmm. Three of Villa's next four games, Alisson, are at home. Will that still be an advantage without crowds? It looks like it won't be. Mm. Um, it's, it's it's really hard to make a case that knowing what temperature your shower's going to be after the game will make you play better. And that's about <laughs> the only thing you know better than the opposition, really, isn't it? It's In, in some respects, travelling to a match, and it focuses the mind a bit, and going through that routine being on the plane, train or automobile, whatever you're on, to, to get there. You have the camaraderie, um, that, that sense of change of scenery when you get to the, the new ground. It probably all benefits the visitors because all that is taken away if they walk out and it's a hostile jeering when they're warming up and then taking to the field. So if you can go through all that uh, team bonding stuff and not have a crowd baying at you, it, it, probably, it probably just wipes out home advantage altogether. Well, we should obviously put out an alert, Tartan Army alert, Gregor, because John McGinn is back. I tell you what, if Jonathan Northcroft was on right now, he'd be ecstatic <laughs> as well. Uh, McGinn is back for Villa, having not played since December with an ankle injury. He missed 14 games of the campaign. Do you think he could be the difference for Villa? I think he's enormous for them. It's his energy, his enthusiasm. I think he's quite rare, in fact, in, in that he's a player. His presence on the pitch buoys the whole team and mm. it buoys the crowd and I know there's not going to be a crowd there but it's kind of he, he provides a boost to the whole football club he's very he's, he's quite a unique player you know he's so popular he's just like a bundle of energy uh, so he's going to be huge for them but again you can't make you know you, if you look at the games he, he missed I think they won 3 of 10 they only won 4 of 18 before he got injured so this is still a, a Villa team with a lot of issues uh, he will be a big addition for them. And Jack Grealish has even spoken about, you know, he kind of takes the heat off him a little bit. Everyone, He's the he's the go-to man. He's, a, he's the creator. Um, and having McGinn in midfield with him, it kind of it almost frees up a little bit of, of uh, space for him. Takes the heat off him a little bit. So, yeah, he's a huge, it's huge to have him back. Um, had, a, had a hand in five goals as well this season. And, you know, Grealish's top goal scorer was seven. So, uh, a big addition, but I still think Villa are going to be right in the right in the mire until the end. 
the return of McGinn will ease perhaps that focus on Grealish, Alison. Yeah, and he probably uh, could do with it because a Villa are getting to be the sort of team where if you make sure you keep an eye on Grealish, whether you man-mark him or just have people who are aware of what he does, they stop ticking. You know, Villa have played well when Grealish has, has been given the freedom to do so. And if, you've, if that's your only weapon, A, it's too much for one player to, to, to carry on their shoulders, and, and B, no wonder they are where they are. You need, you need far more strings to your bow than, than one player with no shin pads. So I think, I think yes, I think, and I think Grealish, sometimes you get the impression he's one of those players, he's running, and he's running nicely. But you just know he could do with someone making a run for him. Mm. You, you know what I mean? It's, it's like he's got no one on his wavelength that he can trust to make the run and collect the ball and shoot. He's, he tries to do too much. So, yeah, if he can feed off the energy and skill of someone else, then, of course, that would be brilliant for him. Four points separate five teams at the bottom with Norwich further adrift in last place on just 21 points. I know in the past, Gregor, we've spoken about Norwich. For those that may have missed it, you feel that this this situation that Norwich find themselves in, like all the other clubs, it might benefit them a little bit and they have a chance of staying up. Is that right? I just don't think you can write them off at all. I think, I'm not trying to roll back on this, I think there's four teams within six points of them. It's not like they've only got one team in their sights to catch. So, you know, there's, and they've got, if you look at the points per game of the teams that they have to play, they've got the easiest run of, all, all, of any team in the league except Spurs, Wolves and Man City, and none of them are involved in the, in the bottom six. And I think they've got nothing to lose now either. It's almost like everyone's doomed them. Uh, Tim Close is their best defender. He's back from injury. Um, and you know, this is not a, an unforeseen event, I think. I think Leicester were in a worse position the season before they won the Premier League. I'm not saying Norwich are going to win the Premier League, but they were, I think they were on 19 points at the same stage. Norwich have 21. And as I say, they've got, they've got a, a run-in that's, that's certainly one of the easiest. So I think it'd be foolish to write them off. Foolish to write them off. And you're quite right. In July, they've got three consecutive fixtures when they're taking on Brighton, taking on Watford, taking on West Ham uh, as well. So those will be... Th- three key games for, for Norwich. Um, but you said, what was it, six six teams in a relegation battle? So does that mean you're going up as far as what, West Ham? No, Brighton. You're including Brighton, Brighton. in this as well. Brighton, yes. I think okay. so. Brighton have got a tough run in. Brighton have got, they start with Arsenal, they've got Leicester, Man United, Liverpool, Man City. Uh, you know, these are some tough games as well as the games against teams around them at the bottom. So, and Brighton were on an awful run beforehand. I think mm. it's very hard to pick. I think I think Brighton have got the toughest run in though, so you can't rule them out. Despite them being two points ahead of that little pack uh, with West Ham, Watford, and Bournemouth uh, on twenty-seven. So I think that's the six teams above them: Southampton and Newcastle. Despite all the kind of issues around Newcastle at the moment, I think they'll have enough. And same as Southampton. So it's between those six teams, really. Alison, do you agree? It's a, it's a battle between those six to go down. Yeah, I mean that, that's sensible. I think. I mean, you probably could make a case for Southampton and Newcastle not being out of it, but that would that, then you'd have to make a case that the six below them could all put to you know 
would they would, I mean you know, they'd all have to put together something really quite remarkable and I don't know that they're capable of it they're all stuttering teams I feel so it, it is Brighton downwards but I think I agree completely Gregor with with your assessments of Norwich and but partly on an emotional level because of those out of those six teams they're the team I'd m- much rather watch play yeah and Cantwell and Pukki I think are two genuine stars of the of this season yeah. They, you know, I don't think people expected for them to give what they have given. And I, I know for a fact away fans or fans, you know, fans not of Norwich who've been to the games have, have, have been incredibly impressed. And there's been so much good banter. And, well, well, your team are amazing. Why are you down at the bottom? It does feel it's that they've had a lot of bad luck early in the season when they needed to get used to the league. Instead, they had to get used to having a massive injury list. And that's what's kept them down there and I you know I just don't see any evidence that they have lost that belief that they could get out of it and that's the thing isn't it if you're bottom you need to yeah. believe you can get out of it and I think they've got it definitely because they do play good football mm. I think they have the best there's the best kind of feeling around the club too still you know, like I say there's that element of nothing to lose but there's also if you look at the rest of those clubs it feels kind of very weighty Watford perhaps an exception because they've been boyed since Pearson came out but the rest of them you know they they really didn't expect or want to be down down here at this time. Norwich knew they were in for a tough season. They knew that you know they hardly spent any money, and and their model now is to be in the top twenty six teams in the country, not just the Premier League. They want to be always either in the Premier League or challenging to get back into it. So, you know, I think the atmosphere is quite good. I was reading something that their fans are thinking about singing uh, on the ball, which is their kind of little anthem on on their doorsteps. So everyone in the kind of town is going to come out and sing it before kickoff on the doorsteps. There's a good atmosphere. Oh, I too. like that. Yeah, that sounds so, nice. So, but in yeah. a way, though, Gregor, it's interesting you mentioned that because I, I do remember them them speaking about ahead of the season their preparations, how they hadn't spent money, and it was perhaps because they they knew that if they were to go down, they'd still have a really strong squad that could get themselves back up. Do you think though they have set themselves up for a fall then, unintentionally, but? I mean, I think they just knew that this was the reality. I think they they weren't going to go and spend twenty, thirty million pounds on players, on single players, or even on <laughs> on a group of players. So I think the only thing that they, you know, Todd Cantwell has been a revelation really in a lot of games. Even Emi Buendia, although he's not scored any goals, he's I think he's created the most chances for another player in Pukki. So and he's, you know, he's had a lot of kind of. He's a he's a creative spark, and it's just not quite happened for him in front of goal. But he's another player who could be picked off. So, you know, they would they would have issues if they went down about about keeping hold of some of these players. But mm. I think I think they're a, a well-run football club now, and 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 they knew the reality as they came into the season, and the fans are still kind of behind them. Okay, well, let's get your final predictions then before the games on Wednesday. Who are your three to go down, Alison? Um. Bournemouth, because I said that at the start of the season, so I feel very clever, so few other people <laughs> did. Um, Aston Villa, because I'm just slightly annoyed they're 19th and they shouldn't be, so that's their punishment. And um, I think I'll go for West Ham as opposed to Norwich, just to be controversial. <gasps> wow. I just feel Norwich have an awful lot of what West Ham wish they had which is every single fan on board with every decision that they make. 
Wow. Okay. That is quite controversial. So West Ham goes down with Bournemouth and, and Villa for Alisson. Um, Gregor, what about your bottom three? I'm going with uh, the same first use of Bournemouth and Villa. And then I think Brighton. I think yes. Brighton's, Brighton's running is an absolute disaster. Uh, West Ham have got a a bit of an easier running, I think. Although it's still tough, but uh, they've, I think West Ham are going to probably just have enough. I think Brighton are we're already on a slippery slope. They kind of lost their identity a wee bit as well. You know, they were praised. I think they, they did the, the, the smallest uh, percentage of possession last season, and then they jumped to the sixth highest percentage of possession. So there was a sort of revolution with with Potter, but they kind of lost confidence in that just before the, uh, the season was was uh, was halted. So be interested to see how they even approach these games now and I just I think that kind of uncertainty coupled with their running I think they could be in trouble I think Brighton's goal difference though is a sign that they could just eke it out maybe survive on goal difference even they're on minus eight you know then you have to go up to Crystal well Everton yeah I mean Crystal Palace and Everton minus six and minus nine, and then it gets ridiculous. And they're the only team in that bottom clutch that look like they've got a sensible goal difference. But it's so interesting that both of you, obviously, when you look at where Norwich are, both of you think that they'll get out of this trouble, which so many would be betting against that happening, <laughs> which, is, which is quite remarkable. But I know our, I'm pretty sure our producer, Max, will be seething with you, Alison, <laughs> for suggesting that West Ham will go down. But you're basing that, I suppose, a lot as well on... But Norwich have that unity. They they have that cohesion between playing staff and fans, and that isn't apparent, obviously, with the West Ham fans. And no, because if 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 in the final quarter of the season there are some blips for Norwich, it will not affect anything. It just won't affect anything. The fans will be the same. The manager will be the same. The players will give all that they give. There will be no discernible. Uh, disunity. Whereas if West Ham have a blip in the final quarter of the season, they then will they'll need another three games to get through the uh, the soul searching, the booing, and the, the you know it, it 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 can they can be a wonderful set of fans and look like a wonderful club when it's going well, but they are so they're so quick to sort of all fall apart, whether it's in the stands or in the boardroom or wherever. They're so quick to sort of just become a mess that they then need to claw back. And there isn't time to do that. So unless West Ham hit the ground running when we restart and don't have any significant problems, then of course they'll be fine. But I just feel if they're bound, <laughs> because they are where they are, they are bound to have some blips. And I don't think they recover well from them. There's, it, 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 they're not a happy family. So you need something extra if you're fighting relegation. And I'm not sure they have that something extra. <sighs> Goodness me, I can only imagine how Max is feeling right now. Um, But we should mention Sheffield United, of course, before we move on. Victory against Villa will send them fifth in the table in what has been a remarkable first season in the Premier League. They have the second best defence. Their only defeats in the last 13 matches before the lockdown were to Liverpool and to Manchester City. They're still in the FA Cup as well, the quarterfinal against Arsenal to come, who they already beat at Bramall Lane this season. So what are the keys to their success? Has it been their consistency? Well, four of the back five have played every match of the season, while John Egan has missed only one. Gregor, let's come to you then about your former boss. Uh, Would you give Chris Wilder manager of the year already? I mean, he's definitely in the running. I think only 
only Jurgen Klopp and possibly Brendan Rodgers are in the conversation, depending on how the season finishes. But I think Chris Wilder is definitely going to be in that conversation. And I mean, it's just it's, you do kind of you, it's remarkable. Sometimes you just have to pause for a moment and think, like this is a team that were playing in League One a few seasons ago, and it's roughly it's a lot of the players are the same. Uh, they have this system that. It's kind of taken the Premier League by storm um, with a kind of buccaneering fullbacks and uh, and they're so as you said they're so so defensively resolute and the consistency they've used, only used 22 players all season I think Wolves has, have used the fewest to 20 um, really they only they sometimes change their strikers and apart from that you can name the team from start to from from uh, back to front almost every week. Um, and yeah, back to Wilder. I think since 2016-17, only Klopp and Guardiola uh, in the top four divisions have won more games than Chris Wilder. So it's he's, it's been a remarkable rise for him, and um, I wouldn't be surprised if he wins if he wins the the gong this year. Well, Alison, I know you've been speaking to Chris Wilder. It's an interview that's going to go up on the Times website today. Is he in good spirits ahead of Wednesday? Yeah, no, he sounded in excellent spirits. He's um... He's so down to earth. <laughs> when um, I first met him um, last July in Sheffield while he was getting ready for the new campaign amongst the elite. And uh, he kept saying, oh, you know, I'm not going to change. I'm going to drop clangers and this and that all through my press conferences. I know I'm going to say the wrong thing and I don't care what I say. And he's not changed at all. He just says it as he sees it. And um, I think he's got a real strong philosophy, a real force of personality, which you have to have if you're juggling the resources he has. And as Gregor touched upon, he's he's found this incredible formula, which is you keep your defence and your midfield pretty much predictable and a unit that knows what they're doing and they pick the same, barring injury, pick the same every week. But because he can't afford um, expensive strikers... He just can't compete on that level at all. So he creates his own striking pool by making sure that they're always they always feel they're not going to be picked, and so that they're always fighting to prove themselves. So that if they if they're lucky enough to get on the bench, they want to come off the bench and make a difference rather than sulk about it because they know that's how he's operating. And I think that's really clever. If you don't have the money, and they've got the smallest budget in the division, um, if you don't have the money to buy in, uh, you know. 25 goals a season bloke then you've got to create an environment where the people you can call upon will do something extraordinary if they're only given 10 or 15 minutes and it's worked it's incredible really i think one the one last sorry one last thing i word i should have used is bravery as well the way they play and when they go behind even more so they throw everything at the opposition and the last time i last time i spoke to them they said that really Liverpool were the only team that they've come away and thought we were well beaten then when they were really hammered at Anfield, although I think the score was only 2-0. Um, every single other game, they have been in it and they think they could have at least come away with a point. And I think there's only I think there's only one game they've conceded more than two goals and that was the 3-0 draw with Man United, which for a team that's been promoted is remarkable. So, uh, yeah, he's definitely got to be in the runner. Uh, so what else can you tell us about Chris Wilder? I'm sure he's got some funny stories that we can look forward to. Oh, he, well, me, we both, Alan, well, we both got funny I know, I was going to say, actually, quite right. But No, I'll come, I'll come to you first, Alison, and, and maybe, obviously, Gregor, you can chip in as well. 
Well, Gregor said uh, the only the only game that they feel they were outplayed was um, Anfield, and uh, Chris called that being absolutely mullered. Which he, I mean, he wasn't. They weren't absolutely mullered, but he, that's how he saw it. So fair enough. And he's um, he said uh, when um, Liverpool went to United, he thought, well, I'll, I'll try and pull one of the old tricks. Maybe Jurgen won't know. <laughs> won't know about it. So he invited Jürgen to come to his office before kickoff so he could give him a bottle of champagne to toast him being the... Um, <laughs> he won one of the Manager of the Year awards and he said, I want to give him a bottle of champagne. And uh, word came back from the club, um, Jürgen thanks you for your very kind gesture, but he would rather concentrate on the match. And Wilder goes, you know, I was absolutely devastated. I thought <laughs> I'd caught him out. He, re- he really thought he could pull him into his office, give him a bottle of champagne start, you know, telling him how wonderful he was so he might just forget that you have to be on your toes against United. <laughs> and then he said, and then he said, uh, he did come in and have a beer with me after the game. But then he didn't stay very long because he had to get his plane, his plane back to Liverpool. I bet that ride took 10 minutes, you know. <sighs> it's, he really does play the poor little us, you know, we have to cycle roller skates to the game sort of thing. But... Um, <laughs> It's not. I don't. It's not an act. I think he knows it's him, and I think he knows it's worked for him. So he's determined not to change, and I think that's that's fantastic. It's 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 it's, it's a real fine balancing act. Otherwise, you become a Monty Python sketch, you know, when you start talking about oh, we used to live in septic tank at Middle Up Road, and you just become. He <laughs> tries to make out that they're 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 you know so, they're so without resources. He doesn't go that far, but he does. He manages to make their disadvantages and advantage so their lack of money is translated into intense camaraderie and they're more prepared than any other team in some respects because they're proper workers and you know they were none of them are on very big money that most of them have come from league well a lot of them have come from league one or had league one wages until the their biggest pay package has only been this season and yet they were all prepared to take a wage deferral and as he put it, you know, they're not having any money taken away from them. It's just being deferred. They'll get, they will get their money. They're just doing the right thing and they're professionals and they've got to get on with it. Whereas I, I do feel a lot of other managers feel they have to sort of tiptoe around the, when they talk about the wages of their players and, and what they do and don't do in terms of, of, of helping the club out. So he's, he's got that balancing act spot on, I think. Hmm. I know it's a very different level to, to when he was at Northampton and, and you were working with him, Gregor, but does he seem as though he's exactly the same Chris Wilder when you worked with him uh, as he is now? I think so, yeah. I think as Alison alluded to there, he is. He kind of he knows who he is and what his strengths are and he's got a great team behind him. Um, Alan Nill in particular is a great coach. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, even the little things like that when he made headlines for... for uh, for taking the players to Stanley Park, was it? Was that before Liverpool even? When they played, they, they kind mm. of went to the local park for, for like, yes, uh, on the, the morning Yeah, the training session. Game. Yeah, that was right, yeah. We, we we did that kind of thing all the time. And, like, you just, it just kind of, we just played a little kind of piggy in the middle game or something. Nothing, like, scientific. And and you just, it just kind of lifts spirits and relaxes everyone. And, and obviously, there was no one taking photos of us at Northampton Town at the time, so no one has found out. But he just does little things like that sometimes just to kind of... He always His teams have always got a great team spirit. And I think that, that, that comes from the top, really. Mm. 
Well, after the action at Villa Park, it is straight over to the Etihad where Manchester City welcome Arsenal at 8.15pm. City have won the last six meetings in all competitions. They beat Arsenal 3-0 in North London in December and their last five league meetings have seen City collect maximum points, scoring 14 goals to Arsenal's two. Well, Manchester City also welcome back Leroy Sane from injuries. So can we see anything but a City victory, Alison? I, I, I managed to make my Man City nephew cry at the weekend. He said, he said, he said How old is your win? nephew, Alison? He's 10. Oh, no. And he said, he said who's going to win? Who's going Because he thinks because I work in football that I, I know the answers. It's a bit mean, really. He said, who's going to win? Man City, the Arsenal. I said, well, yeah, Arsenal. I think Arsenal could win that. And he said, why? Why? And I realised I didn't really have a very sensible answer other than... All the mood music until today, perhaps, and concern over Aubameyang, but all the mood music until today has has been really quite positive at Arsenal. And you sort of think, well, they've had a period to sort of get used to the Arteta and his ways. I mean, he, when he when he came in, he did indicate he he would quite like time to. Uh, really get to know how each of his players tick and how they can work together better and uh, weed out anyone who wasn't on board and he was going to be a benign dictator, really. So he's had um, he's had this period to do that in, whereas there's not much for Guardiola to, to tweak, really, whereas I think there's a lot more for Arteta to prove. So I, I would hope and expect that we'll see a more unified, cohesive Arsenal and as and a same again City, which you know on paper still would mean that City would win. But I think I think Arsenal certainly could come out of this just more cohesive, really. Hmm. Interesting you say that because, and I'm surprised it's not being written into our little running order. But obviously, <laughs> there was up. there was a friendly <laughs> fixture that was played in midweek where, if you had been on Twitter, you might have seen Brentford was trending, and that was all probably down to the fact the Arsenal fans were tweeting about their loss to Brentford, a three-two defeat. But uh, you know, <laughs> Gregor, we can't really <laughs> look into that in any in any seriousness, can we? Despite well, that, despite that defeat and that wonderful performance by Brentford. <laughs> well, we, we can maybe look into David Luiz's uh, part yes. in the in one of the goals there. I mean, that's the thing. They, it's quite persuasive to think to kind of agree with what with, with what Alison's Alison was saying there. But I'm not actually sure how much time they have had together on the training ground. If, They've been training on their own a long time, and then they had three weeks to train together. Really, so I'm not sure he's had the kind of. There might be some Zoom calls, but he's not had the time that he would really want to, to to make his mark on that team even further. We saw it; we did see his effect uh, in his time there. But Arsenal still have players like Luis at the back, and uh, there's still so many question marks about that team, and they're still kind of reckless and inconsistent. So, I mean, yeah, I would, I would say I would expect Man City to win that. Well, second place Manchester City are a whopping 25 points off the champions elect Liverpool, but no, they have a 12 point cushion on Manchester United, who are down in fifth, so could argue they have little to play for in the league campaign. They're still in the Champions League and have an FA Cup quarter final at home to Newcastle to come. So, when you consider maybe there's little to play for in the Premier League, could you forgive them for resting some of their key players, Alison? I see. Uh, resting isn't the same at City as it is anywhere else, is it? So you, Pep Guardiola might well rest someone, and you wouldn't notice because the player that's come in 
is just as incredibly uh, talented and expensively paid as the one he's replacing. So he'll rotate, absolutely. But whether you will ever look at his team and think, that's second string. No, you won't. He hasn't got a second string, has he? So, no, he'll rotate. But I don't think there'll be anything um, peculiar about the team he fields in league matches. I think Mar- Martin Ziegler as well reported today that the, the, the Champions League is going to be concluded in kind of mini-tournament style in Lisbon in August. So that's quite some distance off still. And I think, as Alison says, you'd be almost, that's clearly going to be a priority. So it'd be almost readying his players for that. Well, let's move on to Arsenal and their preparations for the game have been dominated by one man. You mentioned him already, Alison, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. The 30-year-old has scored 61 goals in 97 appearances for the Gunners since joining from Borussia Dortmund in 2018. But he's now spoken out about his contract, which is up in 12 months' time. He said this, I haven't had an offer recently, but I did speak to the club quite a few months ago and they know why nothing has happened yet. It is a turning point in my career and I want to be honest with everyone. They have the keys. It is up to them to do their work. And after that, we will see how things go. It'll certainly be a very difficult decision to make. Gregor, should Aubameyang stay at Arsenal? Uh, Should Aubameyang stay at Arsenal? I think Arsenal should want to keep Aubameyang. I think there's a different question of whether he should stay. Uh, I mean, first first of all, I think he's he's almost somehow underrated still, despite the... His, his goal-scoring prowess in his time at the club. Uh, I remember there was a thing in, just before football kind of ended in late February, and it was, I think he, I think only Aguero, Kane and, and Henri had a better goals-per-minute record uh, in Premier League history. So he's he's an outstanding striker, but he's just turned 30. And um, if, our, if so the question then turns to, is Arsenal the club where he wants to win silverware? And, and if you look back at his career, he's won, a, you know, a couple of cups in Germany and France. But he's a player who's good enough to be in a team that's challenging for for league titles and for for the Champions League title as well. I think he's he's that good. So uh, the question is, you know, I think Arsenal probably, although it's early days, probably are on a on a, a, a path towards improvement under Arteta, but it's not going to happen quickly. There needs to be a lot done to that squad and the economic climate now has changed. So does he want to wait? So um, if I was him, I don't know. There's lots of considerations, family considerations and stuff. Now the world's changed, but if it's purely a football decision, then no, he should, he should leave. But Alison, yet again, we find ourselves in this situation where Arsenal are letting another player's contract run down, it feels. Who is to blame? for this crisis, if you like? Well, it's the... For some reason, they've, they've carved themselves out this philosophy where they do, they seem to think they don't want to be seen to have players um, ruling the roost or calling the shots. They want to be organic, and that's why they appointed Arteta. And they've got this triumvirate of Raul and Edu and... Uh, Arteta and they're meant to be uh, making sure they uh, u- utilise their academy well, that they spot talent, young talent, see it through and they don't let players um, uh, sort of not blackmail them but, but sort of, you know, get the upper hand over contracts um, which is, is, is incredibly um, naive in some respects because they have, in Aubameyang, they have quite clearly 
the one most reliable and classy and effective player in the in the team. Someone who, if he's in the starting lineup, you know they're in with a chance. And if they're not capable of navigating how you deal with someone who knows they are so crucial to the team and who also knows they are coveted by others, and you're you're not you're not as clever as you think you are, really. It's you know it's <laughs> that's the way the market works in football. And you might want you might dream of a setup where where you you call the shots and the players don't call the shots. But it does it just seems counterproductive if they're going to if if he, if, if if he is saying I'm here to talk, I don't know why we're not talking. Then that you know their negotiation skills are not great. I know Gregor sort of alluded to the fact that if it was down to Aubameyang, perhaps he should move on from, from Arsenal. I know Barcelona and Inter Milan are said to be interested in him. Where would you stand on this situation? Should Arsenal look to cash in this summer or should they get one more season out of him and, and, and let him leave for free next next time around? I, well, I, I think they think if they um, give in, in inverted commas, to his new contract demands... That'll create dressing room unrest, and that's what they they brought Arteta in to solve. That they 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 become a uh, not a not a terribly unified place. So they they want to they don't want to have players on different sized um, massively different sized wage bills. Um, you know who I'm referring to here. They don't want to repeat <laughs> the Özil experience, basically, because there's yeah. been more negativity written about having Özil as as paid so much more and giving so much less in theory you can make your case that he still gives quite a lot at the moment but um they don't want that that's not that's not the publicity they want that's not the image they want but you can flip it on its head and say if you if you if you've if you've had the player in your team and you know he works because let's face it he's about one of the uh, impressive things about Aubameyang is is how he dovetails with whether they're using someone um who's come through the ranks unheralded on a debut or someone who's been around the block a few, a few times he's, he's he's very adaptable to who he plays with he could he makes that team tick so why why does do they think it looks bad for them to reward somebody who you can build a team around i just don't it just seems to be very counterproductive to, to think, think you either wind down the contract or you should cash in why mm. cash in what, what are you going to replace him with i think we're leaving out the fact though that arsenal has been such a dysfunctional uh, discomforted football club for so long that a lot of these players didn't want to sign the contract, and I think he's probably one of them. I would say, well, it, unless they make him a silly offer like they did to to Ozil, no one else would have paid Ozil that kind of money, um, and he probably signed because it it was a a ridiculous offer that he couldn't refuse. So, I think they're scarred by that, but also it's a bit of a vicious circle if if uh, if if there's kind of you know, this maelstrom around the, around the football club, which there has been for a, a number of years now, then why would why would some of the top players really want to stay there in that negative atmosphere? But but also, I mean, interesting what you what you said there. But and you mentioned silly money for Özil. But would it be silly money, Alison, if you know what you're getting with Aubameyang? Well, that would be my point. Just because you made a mistake with Özil, it doesn't mean you're going to make. A mistake if you do the same thing with Aubameyang because you're, they're completely different players. You have, and presumably in the lockdown, I would have thought, yes, you're right, Gregor. Well, they haven't had extra time on the training field with anyone else, but he he's had all the time in the world to study footage and to talk to 
for players and to work out what what is left to give. It may be that conversations have not given Arteta the indication that it's worth him sticking his neck out and saying, spend, spend, spend on this boy. I have to have him in the team. But I just, I just don't think it's necessarily something they should be embarrassed about as a club. It's not, it's not embarrassing to, to have a player who's a hit with the fans and mm. to say, we, we need you. I don't know. Maybe they think that's a sign of weakness. I don't Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Well, we can't let you go, Alison, today without talking about your beloved Liverpool. What a first game back it is for them as well on Sunday at 7pm. A Merseyside derby at Goodison Park where they could lift the Premier League title. Not quite the fairy tale, it sounds, with no fans and the potential to celebrate their title victory in the car park. But do you care, Alison? Do I care there's no fans? Um, yeah, how you, how you I win care. it. Oh, yes, of course I care. Um, you know, the reason the reason there's such a thing as, as as comics and books about sport is you want to create the perfect narrative arc where it ends with the right songs and the right noise and the right passion, and that won't be there. But I think... I don't think it'll be too terrible because I think every single Liverpool fan... When that final whistle goes, and it's the what the final whistle that declares them champions, they will know what they will be doing, whether it's in six months or three months or whenever they're allowed to be together. And you can you can almost just fantasise, can't you, that the very, the very first game back at Anfield, when the crowds are allowed back in, will be probably even more emotional than it would have been on the night that they win it because of everything that's gone on before. So I think if you can cling on to cling on to knowing that they'll all be together again, I think mm. I think it will still give the Liverpool fans a lot of pleasure. And we've had a long time to get used to this being a disappointing season. If you haven't got your head and your heart around it by now, then there's something mm. wrong with you. You've just got to get on with it. And, um, you know, we are allowed to be with a few people watching our tellies and so on. You can make a bit of noise. You can drag your telly into your garden, add a few extra people. 
you can make it work. You can make it work. And have I'm you... sure if you live in a street with lots of Liverpool fans on it, you'll all be singing <laughs> songs be on your, at your gate. It'll be fine. Have you got the champagne on ice then? Well, I fi- I've got me flag. <laughs> I have my Premier League <laughs> champions flag, which I am told <laughs> is, very, is very naughty. Because a lot of Liverpool fans either buy it but store it in another premises because you're not allowed to have it on the premises because of hubris but or not buy it at all but i don't see the point of flying the flag 10 days after they've won it when it arrives on amazon because i need it now so i can fly it the minute the minute the whistle goes that flag has to go out the window <laughs> oh i hope we get to see a picture of that flag oh, flying oh i look forward to that um i am going to use the rest word um which i know you you suggested that wouldn't happen with Manchester City because they would rotate. But should Liverpool get the job done in the next few games, do you, Alison, expect Jurgen Klopp to rest senior players or will he want to go all out for the rest of the season and perhaps try to break the record points tally? Um, No, I don't think he'll rest. No, not at all. Um, He's so, he has so much integrity. I know, I know he'd feel he was letting down the very league that he's just won. So why would you do that? It would, it would make no sense at all because you're tainting the trophy you've just just held aloft. You have to carry on playing every game as if it matters a hell of a lot. Otherwise, you've not won a proper title. Well, Gary Neville has been speaking to Henry Winter in The Times today about the champions elect. Neville says they should celebrate like hell. We know Alison will when they win it in a couple of weeks, but forget about it as soon as they have won it. Neville won back-to-back titles with Manchester United on three occasions and even won three in a row between 1999 and 2001. And he believes one title is not enough for this side. He says Liverpool are capable of doing it, but they will have a very angry Manchester City and Pep Guardiola chasing after them. My main criticism of Manchester City in the early years of them winning titles in 2012 and 2014 was that I always felt that after they had won it, they all relaxed. Whereas under Pep, you could see after the first one in 2018 that he wanted more. Do you agree uh, with Neville then, Alison, that perhaps just winning a title is simply not good enough for this Liverpool side? Yeah, I mean, that sounds it sounds greedy when you haven't actually lifted it yet. But <laughs> I, I mean, yes, for two reasons. One is the squad that Klopp's put together do certainly look capable of ageing well together and possibly even getting better. There's certainly um, more than one title in them. And secondly, you know, this is Liverpool and they're not... (laughs) This is going to sound incredibly arrogant, but they're not the sort of club that have ever said, oh, one title's enough. Um, You know, our ambitions are are fulfilled now. (laughs) I mean, I've 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 been talking to Liverpool fans about their memories of celebrating 30 years ago, the last title. I'll tell you what, none of them can remember what they did because they were two a penny. It was a, it was <laughs> dynasty stuff. They didn't, they didn't, if they'd known they weren't going to win another one for 30 years, maybe they'd have had an extra gin and tonic or something. But they, they, they didn't, they didn't remember because it was, it was something that Liverpool did. And I was brought up in that environment. Winning the league was, was absolutely lovely. Don't get me wrong, but it felt it felt like where you were supposed to be. So it, it's not very Liverpool to imagine a scenario where they win the title this year and then finish fourth next. That's not, 
that's not what you do. You, you're supposed to be building a dynasty. And I'm sure Klopp's aware of that. So, Gregor, hearing what Alison's saying about building a dynasty, do you think this could be the start of a period of dominance in the league for them? I think it would take some pretty major disruption for that not to be the case. I think, you know, like Klopp leaving or the front three, a major injury or they're kind of not, I don't know, I think they probably are looking at needing to add another striker, another player there. They won't be as lucky for another season to keep them all fit throughout. And You know, but there are very, very few things you can look at. The back four is future-proofed and, and by a country mile the best in the uh, the best in the league. Uh, you know, Henderson's in his prime and a, and a real leader. And the front three are, are electric. So, you know, I, I just think it would take something pretty disruptive. Uh, and who knows? I mean, I don't want to be negative about this, but who, know, who knows? I mean, coronavirus could, could be a bit of a disruptor because Anfield is so powerful for Liverpool. So over the course of a season, we've seen some, you know, we've seen some magical nights there in Europe and and some uh, big performances in the Premier League. And that's not going to be the same. That's, there's no there's no football club in the country who feels the power of their home support like Liverpool, so that might affect them slightly. But as I say, they're 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 so well run and so far out in front at the moment that um, it would take something pretty major for that to for that to change. Well, Neville also had a controversial choice for his player of the year. He said, I think Alisson has made Liverpool win the league. When people talk about Virgil van Dijk being the missing piece, there is an element of that. Van Dijk is one of the best centre-halves I've ever seen. But what's been the big change for me in Liverpool is the goalkeeper. So a quick word from Alisson on Alisson. Is he really the player of the year? I just, I just love the quote. I think Alison has made Liverpool win the league, and I, I, I think people can say Job that done. enough. Really. When I first saw that quote, I thought I had to double read it. Yeah, <laughs> and that's and that's what I want you to all do. Yeah, but, um, I, I think you can make. I, I could compile a thirty-page dossier on every single Liverpool player and make a case for them all being player of the season, and and so therefore Alison is is not a bad shout at all because you you could you could just list and list and list it's about your it all comes down to your perception of what liverpool lacked and that, and that, i think because of who gary neville is he's probably a bit more interested in what liverpool have lacked in the past rather than just glorifying in what they've got now and he's making a comparison it's absolutely fine and the re, but because you can make a case for every player there is therefore only one player of the season which is jordan henderson a, because he's been on an inverted commas journey, and we all love that. I mean, you've got to remember, nine years ago, he came to Liverpool, everyone hated him. And, mm. you know, he, he struggled and struggled because he wasn't Steven Gerrard. And what was he? And he runs funny. And he's fought his way through to be um, integral to that team. Really, you know, you can see him driving them on and he, he his passion for it. So, and he's been a great captain during the pandemic and done some great community work so that's that's how you differentiate because on, on a playing level they've all been amazing but he's had that extra bit of longevity journey and emotion so for you it's jordan henderson the player of the year yeah what, what, where do you stand on that gregor yeah I, I probably agree although i love alexander arnold deeply <laughs> i think he's a, he's an absolute once in a generation footballer kind of thing 
So he's, I think he's England's best player, and he's a right back. It's remarkable. He's changing perceptions of what what someone is capable of doing from fullback. Uh, but as you know, there is a narrative to Henderson's sort of journey at Liverpool, and and what he, you know, he was a leader, as as Alison said, through this uh, difficult period in the last few months, um, and I think he probably will win Player of the Year. Well, that was quite a revelation that you deeply <laughs> love Trent Alexander-Arnold. Why his not? Play, his, his play, perhaps, I should have said. Okay, that's all right. That's all right. You admire him. That's all that matters. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that is it for now. Many thanks to Gregor and to Alison as well. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. All you have to do is search The Times subscription for more information. And we will be back with you on Thursday on the game podcast looking back on a busy night of Premier League action it is back hooray make sure you join us then